0: Hello, and welcome to Cinema Sunday. I am your host, Candy Thomas, and each week I'm going to watch one of the 95 movies that have won an Oscar for Best Picture and tell you what I think of them. I follow the same template every week, so if you're new to this podcast, here's how it all works. I tell you the basic details of the movie, things like who's in it and what's it all about, and then of course where you can stream it if you decide you want to watch it. I also answer three questions. Does it stand the test of time? Is it Oscar worthy? And should you watch it? Or are you scratching your head wondering who on earth funds these projects? As a friendly warning, I like to give my honest assessment of these movies. And I do sometimes go off the rails a little bit when I start ranting about things that irritate me. But I always seem to mix it with a heaping dose of adult language. So please be sure you listen with caution. Before we begin, I'd like to thank Wikipedia and IMDb as they are great sources of information for all things movie and Oscar related. So with that, let's take it away. This week's Oscar-winning film is Driving Miss Daisy. It was released December 15th, 1989. It is directed by Bruce Beresford. It stars Jessica Tandy, Morgan Freeman, Dan Aykroyd, and Patti LuPone. It was nominated for a total of nine Oscars, and it won four of them. It won for Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Makeup. If you want to watch it, it can be found on HBO Max and Spectrum if you have a subscription. Otherwise, you can pay a few dollars to watch it on Amazon Prime Video, Fudu, and Redbox. So what is it about? It begins in 1948. Miss Daisy, who's played by Jessica Tandy, is a 72-year-old wealthy Jewish widowed retired schoolteacher. She lives alone in a fancy house in the Atlanta suburbs. One morning, as she's leaving to drive herself to the grocery store, she ends up reversing through some hedges and crashes into her neighbor's yard. She's uninjured, but the car is totaled. And her son, Booley, who's played by Dan Aykroyd, decides it's time for Mama to be retired from the whole driving thing. At first, Daisy insists that she can still get by with using public transportation. You know, a taxi cab to the hairdressers, the trolley to the Piggly Wiggly, a kind friend driving her to her synagogue for weekly services. But she immediately starts to realize it's an incredible inconvenience. Booley is the owner of a garment factory, and one of his employees recommends a driver for Booley to interview. Hoke Colburn is a kind, charming, and very polite African-American man played by Morgan Freeman. Hoke seems eager to accept the offer of employment, even though Booley warns him that his mama can sometimes be difficult. He warns Hoke that she may say rude things to him and treat him poorly from time to time, but no matter what she says, she's not authorized to fire him. He is employed by Booley, and he is there to stay. So this starts the initial standoff. Miss Daisy cannot bear the idea of being driven around town by Hoke, It's not a racial issue. In fact, she states that very clearly when Bully suggests it might be. She unequivocally says, I am not prejudiced. In truth, I think it's a combination of two other things. One, it's obvious that Miss Daisy has money, but she goes out of her way to not seem ostentatious. The idea of having a driver is something reserved for rich people trying to show off. And she's worried about what people will think of her. But it's also obvious she's struggling with the idea that she's getting too old to care for herself in a way she wants to. Or at least she views it that her son believes she cannot care for herself anymore, which she finds terribly offensive. So what it boils down to is that she's going to take it out on Hoke. And bless this man's heart, he starts showing up every day and just sits at her kitchen table for hours waiting to drive her someplace. He feels bad about collecting a paycheck from her son without really doing anything to earn it. So he starts doing some odd jobs to help out the housekeeper, Idella. She's played by Esther Rolle. Older listeners may remember her from classic TV shows like Maude and Good Times. And while Miss Daisy is snapping at him, don't you touch that. Stop your nosing around in there. Quit bothering Idella. She's got work to do. It seems that Hoke can do nothing right. Most of the time, he just sits quietly at the kitchen table reading the newspaper, and that still seems to get under her skin. As a viewer, you connect the dots pretty quickly. It's not that she doesn't like Hoke. She doesn't like what he represents, a loss of personal freedom and personal space. I'm sure she also feels like he was forced upon her without her say so, or her having an opinion about who got hired. But of course, Hoke is nothing but a complete gentleman. Every time Daisy barks something at him, he replies with an ever courteous, yes. If she says something with even a hint of humor, he acts like she is a world-class comedian. Day after day, Hoke engages in a kindness campaign that only a bona fide saint could pull off. After a few days, they start to run out of things and it's become necessary for Miss Daisy to go to the grocery store. As much as Hoke pleads with her to get in the car, she insists on taking the trolley. She starts walking to the trolley stop, and there's Hoke driving two miles per hour next to her, telling her to get in the car. It's hilarious listening to the back and forth. This script is dead on. It's what you'd expect from two sassy old Southerners snapping at each other. What do you think you're doing? Well, I'm trying to drive you to the store. Finally, she caves and lets him drive her to the market. But she lectures him about his speed the whole way there. The slower you go, the more gas you save. Yes'm. The second time around, he drives her to her synagogue for service. She's appalled when she comes out with her friends and sees Hoke parked right in front, waiting with the door open like a rich person's chauffeur. She quickly ducks into the car in shame. Of course, she lets him have it as they're driving away. She's accused Hoke of making a fool of her. She worries they will all think she's rich. And Hoke's like, but Miss Daisy, you are rich. And she proceeds to remind Hoke that she grew up very poor and hates the idea that people would ever accuse her of putting on airs. He tells her that she should be proud of what she has, but she insists he's being vulgar and refuses to speak with him anymore. And the poor guy is thinking, geez, this is one crazy old bitch. It doesn't stop there. Daisy is in the mindset that she'd be better off if Hoke weren't around. He has embarrassed her. And for what? She's perfectly capable of getting around on her own. And then she finds the smoking gun. She discovers that Hoke is stealing from her. Dun, dun, dun. This is a great scene. So I'm going to tell you it in perfect detail. She calls Booley and he races over at the crack of dawn to see what's got his mama so troubled. Daisy has found an empty can of what was once pink salmon in the garbage can. She knows Hoke ate it and without permission. It's so funny. She makes it seem like she's found a dead body. The camera actually goes in for a close up on her hand with the empty can and the music's like, do like super dramatic. (laughs) And we see Bully's face and he's trying so hard not to laugh at her. And Daisy's going on and on about how she just knew Hoke was trouble from the beginning. And she knew something was going to go missing. And so she counted all of the cans in her pantry. Bully is having a hard time holding it together. He cannot believe he hauled his cookies over to her house for a 33 cent can of salmon. He slaps down a $10 bill and tells her to go buy a whole pantry full of salmon. She's having a little bit of a meltdown. It's not that the salmon cost 33 cents. It's that it was hers and Hoke took it from her. Now, even though she did make a point earlier in the movie about not being prejudiced, there are a couple of things that she says here that would lead one to believe that maybe there's a little bit of something underneath her tolerant exterior. She says things like, they're like children. They just take what they want without asking. And they are always taking things Maybe she's meaning that about hired help in general, but it hits a little different when you know that all of her help are black people. At her insistence, Booley waits until Hoke shows up for work that morning. They're going to have a serious conversation man to man and get to the bottom of the missing salmon mystery. And wouldn't it figure Hoke's not in the door three seconds when he says, oh, Miss Daisy, while you were out yesterday, I went and ate a can of your salmon. Now, I know you told me to eat them leftover pork chops, but they was kind of stiff. So I stopped by the Piggly Wiggly this morning and I got you another can. Want me to just go ahead and put it in the pantry for you? And with that, Hoke lives to drive another day. A few years go by and we see Daisy and Hoke have formed a solid bond. She's grown quite used to him driving her around everywhere. And he still laughs a little too hard every time she makes a joke. During one of their regular visits to place flowers at her husband's grave, Miss Daisy discovers that Hoke doesn't know how to read. She finds this impossible because for years he has sat at her kitchen table with the damn newspaper. What the hell? He admits he's just looking at it for the pictures and he can mostly glean what it's about just from that. But as a retired school teacher, she decides he needs to learn to read. And we discover that she is a gifted and patient teacher. Hoke is 63 years old at this point, so it's such a thrill for him to have someone finally teach him to read. Fast forward a couple more years. It's Christmas of 1953. Bully's eccentric wife, Florine, played by Patti LuPone, is throwing a big Christmas party for 50 people. This seems odd since they are all Jewish, and Daisy seems a little dismayed at the effort Florine would go to to celebrate like a Christian. It's obvious to Daisy that her daughter-in-law is trying to separate herself from the Jewish community in order to get in with the high society types, the junior league, the garden club. She's trying to please these people that really would not want anything to do with her. A nice little side note, Daisy, although she says she doesn't give Christmas presents, she does give Hoke a writing book, something she saved from her teaching days. And she says, Well, I taught Mayor Hartsfield to write with books like these. Nice little homage to the city of Atlanta. Hartsfield was this city's longest serving mayor and now has one of the busiest airports in the world named after him. I think one of the best parts of this movie is that every few years, Booley buys a new car for his mama and Hoke starts buying the hand me downs. It's nice to see that working for Booley and Daisy is helping him get on solid foundation financially. And since he's the only one that's ever driven the cars, well, he knows exactly what he's buying. Next up is a road trip to Mobile, Alabama. Miss Daisy is going to visit her brother for his 90th birthday party. She does her typical routine, snapping at Hope before they're even out of the driveway. This woman is the ultimate backseat driver. Did you have the air conditioning checked like I told you to? Yes, em. but I don't know what I had it check for. You don't ever let me turn it on. Oh, you hush. Miss Daisy is in charge of the map and has the entire trip planned out. When they eat, when they pee, she's thought of everything. It's during their lunch stop that they run into a little bit of trouble with the local law. A couple of redneck state patrol officers see a black man standing on the side of the road next to a beautiful brand new car. And of course, they need to stop and give him a big old dose of hell. Miss Daisy does her level best to control the situation, and it's probably a good thing she's so commanding, or it could have gone in a different way. But as they continue down the road, she realizes they must have made a wrong turn somewhere because they're going in the wrong direction. You took a wrong turn back at Opelika. And Hoax says, well, now, Miss Daisy, you took it with me. They're, They're late, but they finally arrive, and Daisy gets to spend some relaxing time with her beloved family. It's now 1961. Daisy is 85 years old and Hoke is 72. They are very literally growing old together. Turns out Hoke has another family trying to steal him away. So Booley offers him a whopper of a raise. He knows there's nothing more valuable than keeping his mama happy. And after 13 years, she's become quite attached to Hoke. A couple of years later, Idella dies. She is given a lovely funeral, and it's terribly sad. She had been with Daisy for decades, and it's a heartbreaking loss. Rather than hiring another housekeeper, Daisy decides she'll take care of the household chores, leaving Hoke to cook and drive. They're both aware they can't do either of those things as well as Idella could. But they're just like an old married couple, working in the garden together, drinking coffee, reading the paper together. They provide the much-needed company for each other as they age. At one point, there's a winter snowstorm. And just so you know, by Atlanta standards, that must have been about an inch or two of snow. But Daisy was not expecting Hoke to make it to work that day. But sure enough, he not only comes to the door right on time, but he figured her power was out. So he stopped at the Krispy Kreme to bring her donuts and coffee just the way she likes it. I swear this guy could write a book on how to do everything right. Over the years, Miss Daisy has witnessed a few incidents of racial intolerance or bigotry aimed at Hoke, but it wasn't until 1966 when she first experiences anti-Semitism. That is the year when her synagogue is bombed, and the reality of hate and bigotry becomes very clear to her. Who would do such a thing, she asks. And Hoke responds, you know as good as me, Miss Daisy, it's always the same ones. Shortly after this, Daisy gets tickets to attend a dinner where Martin Luther King Jr. will be speaking. She's anxious to go, but Booley and Florine back out. Booley is concerned about the impression people will get if he attends, and he's worried it will impact his business. He suggests that she should invite Hoke to go with her instead. But she bungles this, waiting until the very last minute to mention it to him. And by then, Hoke is like, Damn, lady, you knew about this thing a month ago and said nothing to me. You must not really want me to go. So he sits in the car and listens to the speech on the radio, and she goes in alone. We get to 1971. Hoke has now spent 23 years with Daisy. As he arrives at her house one morning, he finds her in an agitated state, clearly showing signs of dementia. She thinks she is still a school teacher and can't find the papers she says she needed to grade for her students. Hoke manages to calm her down, and in a moment of clarity, she looks up at him and she says, You're my best friend, Hoke. And she squeezes his hand a little bit, I'm seriously about to cry. Booley decides to sell Daisy's house and move her into a retirement home. The final scene of the movie is in 1973. Hoke, now 85 years old, has retired. His vision is bad, so he's unable to drive himself anywhere anymore. Bully takes him to visit Miss Daisy, who is now 97 years old. It doesn't take her long to say, Now, Bully, you get on out of here and let me catch up with my friend Hoke, who then very sweetly feeds her a piece of pumpkin pie. Question one. Does driving Miss Daisy stand the test of time? I think certain aspects of it do. Many people are privileged to have lifelong platonic friendships, and it becomes a more endearing tale when it's two individuals of a certain age group. At some point, you forget Hoke works for her. You think of them as just two friends. It just so happens that he's the one who drives every time they go anywhere. You can see his comfort level grow as the years go by. In the beginning, when he was clapping back at her, it seems as if it's intended as him kind of defending himself, as if he's saying, you shouldn't treat me that way. But after the first couple of years, they're like David and Alexis Rose in the first season of Schitt's Creek, when they're like, shut up. No, you shut up. No, you shut up. You shut up, David. It's like old people slapstick, and I'm here for it. My only complaint, and I'm not even sure if it's a complaint really, but I feel like this movie tiptoes around the racial aspects, especially considering it takes place in the South in the 50s and 60s. They dabble at it a bit, so you know there are racial undertones, but they're never quite brave enough to take it head on. I can't help but wonder, why go there at all if you're not going to show the full ramifications of it? Daisy is very much a, I don't want to talk about it" person. So many of these important conversations are non-starters. One incredibly timeless piece of this movie is the music. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned this adorable scene in the movie The Holiday, where Jack Black is playing Name That Tune in a blockbuster video with Kate Winslet. And of course, one of the musical scores he mentions is Driving Miss Daisy. I'm going to test you on this later. Okay, Driving Miss Daisy... Hans, very unexpected. You remember how great it was? Sassy. Sassy. He's so fucking brilliant. I love him. And be prepared because that scene's going to come back again when I review Gone With the Wind. Question two. Is it Oscar worthy? I think this is a lovely little movie. And I get more out of it every time I watch it. The performances by Jessica Tandy and Morgan Freeman are incredible. Just like the King's speech from last week, this entire script is basically two people just talking to each other in a single small space. In this case, it's a car. So there isn't a lot of physical acting, just two people showing an incredible range of emotion while sitting still. The other movies nominated that year were Born on the Fourth of July, Dead Poets Society, Field of Dreams, and My Left Foot. I can also imagine that Do the Right Thing, Glory, Crimes and Misdemeanors, Sex Lies and Videotape, Steel Magnolias, or When Harry Met Sally could have been nominated just as easily. I honestly think I would have voted for Dead Poets Society or maybe Field of Dreams, but that's only because I never saw My Left Foot. In 2015, The Hollywood Reporter did a poll of Academy members asking them to re-vote on past controversial decisions. And, well, given another chance, they would have selected My Left Foot over Driving Miss Daisy. This film did make a lot of Oscar history, though. It is the only film based off of an off-Broadway production to ever win Best Picture. To this day, Jessica Tandy, at age 80, is the oldest ever best actress winner. And as of the date of this recording, it is the last best picture winner to be rated PG. Every winner since 1989 has been PG-13 or R-rated. Question three, should you watch it? I would say yes. You should see it at least just once, if for no other reason than to see the pure perfection of Jessica Tandy and Morgan Freeman in these starring roles. This was clearly the highlight of Tandy's career, and I think one of maybe the top two or three for Freeman. I only say that because he's done an awful lot since then and still stands a chance to give us a couple more really great ones. This film probably won for Best Picture because it's light and sweet and funny, The script is clever and snappy and filled with sarcasm. It has a couple of deeper moments, but it never stays sad for too long. It spans 25 years, so you get to see all the different clothes and styles and cars. I mean, lots of really cool old cars. It's a charming film, and it makes you feel good about friendship, and it highlights how you can sometimes find it in the most surprising places. Go watch it. I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. This has been episode 31 of Cinema Sunday. I'll be back next week to discuss another Oscar-winning film. Please tell your friends about this podcast. If you feel so inclined, you can like, follow, subscribe, and even post a review. That helps get Cinema Sunday heard by a wider audience. If you have a comment, a correction, or you just want to tell me that I have shit taste, you can email me at cinemasunday at yahoo.com. The music for Cinema Sunday is appropriately titled So Happy. It is by Scott Holmes Music. I got it off of the freemusicarchives.org and the work is licensed under Creative Commons by NC 4.0. Links are provided in the bio and if you happen to visit the Free Music Archive, they do take donations, so please be generous. Thank you and see you next week.